give you a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. They're going to look at the last few verses starting at 11 to 20. If you want to follow along on your phone, uh, I realize that I've been saying this wrong for a couple of weeks. Don't go to the version app. Well, I mean, you can. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you want to um, follow along with the, the notes specifically to our scripture, go to our church app, open up the little live worship thing, and it'll tell you there uh, how, how to get to all the notes and the scriptures. But you can use the Bible app. Whatever, whatever way you want to digest the Bible, the important part is that you're digesting the Bible, right? So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. This is the third installment of our series called Reboot when Nehemiah is charged by God to reboot Jerusalem and reboot the people of God, that they can return to him and live for him and fight for him and be faithful to him. And so in episode one, scene one, if you like, Nehemiah has a visit from his brother. And they're just having a nice casual evening together. And Nehemiah said, hey, what's going on? And in that answer, his heart was broken. Scene two, four months later between the the two scenes, he's in the palace before the king, his boss, because he knows that he needs permission and resources from the king to do what God has called him to do. Scene three is where we land today. And this scene, as is starting to get going on this calling, happens another four months later after he'd got permission from the king. So now we're eight months into this broken-hearted moment that he has. In some ways, this is one of the most important scenes because it's here that he has to start working. He has to get going. He needs to start moving forward. This past Friday morning, I was interviewed, I'll use the word interviewed rather than interrogated, by a former CIA agent. Now, When the kids ask, I'll say I was interrogated by the CIA. But the reality was I was interviewed by a friend who used to be a CIA operative undercover. And she's working on a new project based on one of the primary teachings that they gave her as she was training to be a spy. And it's the issue... That when you are trapped, when you are full of fear, when you don't know what to do, you have to do something. And in CIA world, they call it getting off the X. The X is an unknown. It's a situation or a circumstance or a relationship that you're thrown into and you don't know what to do. But the reality is, if you stay on the X for too long, you're going to get in trouble. Either you're going to put yourself in some danger or the enemy is going to see you on the X and get you. 
She tells the story of how in their training, and I'm not going to tell this uh, as accurately as, as she would, but you'll get the idea that when they were learning this in CIA training, they were uh, in a car en route somewhere when uh, some kind of crash or explosion of something was simulated, uh, but they didn't know it was a simulation. And so they had to figure out, okay, we're in the middle of nowhere. We've just experienced this crisis. We don't know what to do. How do we get off the X and start moving forward? This is Nehemiah's get off the X moment. He was eight months into this calling. He knew he had to do something, but things were going slow. Four months from start to getting permission, and then four months from leaving the palace in Persia to go to Jerusalem. In verse 11, we pick up the story of how he got started of how he got off the X. And as we read this story, there are a number of points that I just want to highlight about how Nehemiah started to move forward that speaks so well to how we can move forward when we're on our X, when we're stuck, when we don't know where to go. First few verses. After I arrived in Jerusalem, he's finally here. Eight months later. And had been there three days. I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The first thing that Nehemiah does as he starts this journey forward to get off the X, wait for it, is absolutely nothing. It says he got to Jerusalem. Finally, he's here. Let's go. Let's get off the G and onto the O. Let's move forward. And we read that the first thing that he does is rest. And he rests for three days. You know, I imagine that he would have felt some pressure from those around him. Hey, we've been waiting for this. What, what do you mean we're going to take three days off? I'm sure there were all kinds of internal questions that he was asking himself about his responsibility and what he needed to do. It felt so counterintuitive, but the first thing that this great leader did when he arrived at his mission was rested. His heart had been broken, but he rested. He'd got permission from the king, but he didn't use it. He had all the resources that he needed, but he just put them by the side because he rested. It feels counterintuitive, but it's so, so important. Because if we are not rested in moving forward, then we are not going to move forward as faithfully and thoughtfully and wisely as we need to. When we are overtired, 
It robs our perspective. It multiplies our anxiety. It makes new opportunities feel burdensome and it destroys peace. The first thing that Nehemiah does as he's about to start this huge challenge is absolutely nothing. He takes a rest. He takes a break. Jesus, throughout his ministry, in the middle of the size and scope of a calling that was going to change the trajectory of eternity, we read time and time again that as Jesus was about to reboot the world, he went and did nothing. <laughs> he went and rested. You see that T-shirt? There's a picture of it going around on social media. It says, be like Jesus. Jesus took naps. <laughs> but sometimes before, before we jump in, we have to rest. We have to get right with ourselves and right with God. I mean, honestly, this could be a, this could be a two-hour message in itself, right? Because we are not very good at resting. But it's when we rest that we can hear from God and we can replenish God's resources that we need to do God's bidding. The first thing he does is rest for three days. Verse 12, I get up at night, very early in the morning, and I took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem, and the only animal I took was the one that I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate. I'm not sure I'd want to visit the dung gate. doesn't sound like a popular place, does it? And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but further down it became too narrow for my animal to go. So I went up at night by the wall of the valley and, and inspected the wall. Then I headed back. I entered through the valley gate and returned. What's happening here? He's going on a reconnaissance mission, right? He's going under the cover of night because he didn't want people to see what he was doing. At this point, he hadn't shared with people what the vision that God had laid on his heart was. He wanted to steward it well. He didn't want to put it out there too soon or too quickly that other people might get a hold of it and dilute it. You know, that's one of the challenges when you've got a vision, when you want to do something. Because as soon as you share it, you almost give away control of that vision and you're inviting other people who may have different visions to, to, to speak into it. I was in a meeting the, the other day where we're seeking some partners to work with us. And there's a challenge when you bring people into your vision. If you bring them in too quickly, it's often that their vision can overtake your vision, right? And we were meeting in a little kid's classroom, and in the corner was some Play-Doh. 
And I got some Play-Doh and I said, this is our vision, it's green. But this is their vision, it's blue. And if they merge their vision with our vision, it changes the color of our vision. Let's make sure we're crystal clear on who we want to be before we invite others to it. That's why Nehemiah didn't tell anyone. That's why he went out at night. Because he wanted to protect his vision, not just from those who would own it with him, but also from the enemy. No noise, no fuss. I'm just going to do my homework and figure out what's actually happening as I start this work. The first principle that I want to share with you as we're talking about getting off the X, as we're talking about moving forward, is that before we move forward, we must do our homework as to what we're moving into. As Nehemiah started, he made sure that he did his homework. Jesus talks about it in terms of building a, a tower, right? says, so if you're going to build, if you're going to start, make sure that you know what you're doing and you have the resources to finish. Obviously, the times are um, reversed, but Nehemiah did not want to do to the wall in Jerusalem what happened on I-4 with the I-4 ISIL, right? As he started, he had to do his homework. He wanted to know what the problem was. He wanted to know what resources he needed to fix it. And he needed to come up with a good, solid, God-honoring plan to do it. He needed to do his homework because he believed that God deserves our best. And if we're doing our best haphazardly, we're not doing our actual best. As Nehemiah started to move forward and get off the X and start this project, the first thing he did was his homework. All of us have different personalities and some of us will homework something more than we need to. And others of us will not homework enough. And I'm not sure where you are on that spectrum. But Nehemiah reminds us that we got to do the hard work of our homework. He did it at night. He kept his vision to himself because he wanted to find out what needed to be done before he moved forward. He's done his homework. He's at a place where he thinks he's ready to turn it in and to move forward. Verse 16. The officials... That was those who had traveled with him and those he met in Jerusalem did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. 
I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. That's a pretty diverse team that he's about to build and empower. When we read those categories of people, Jews and priests and nobles and officials and the rest, there's a whole lot of agendas in that group. There's a whole lot of politics among that group. But he knows that if he's going to do what God has called him to do, he has to build a team. The first step to moving forward is that he does his homework. The first step towards us getting unstuck is that we say, what do I need to learn about where I need to go before I start going? The second step for him and to us is to say, who's going to go with me? Now again, initially, he keeps things to himself, but he knows he's not going to get where he needs to go on his own. God does nothing in isolation. There is no such thing as an isolated Christian. We need each other to grow and to serve and to mission. God does not call me, he calls us. God does not call you, he calls we. And so Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, have I said Jeremiah before today? Sometimes my brain gets confused like that. If I say Jeremiah, I actually mean Nehemiah. Would you just, would you just understand what I'm thinking, not what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> Where was I? So he's got to build his team, right? And it's a very diverse team with lots of agendas and politics and all this kind of stuff. And so his big challenge right now as he moves forward, as he gets off his ex, is to say, how can I get these folks on the same page? Verse 17. So I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned. You see the trouble we're in. Honestly, all of these different groups were struggling because of one thing. The city that they called home, that they needed to fulfill their mission, was in ruins. He was uniting them against something that they all agreed on. He doesn't start off by sharing this big, elaborate vision of what could be. He starts off by telling them what each of them in their own area knew, that the city is ruined, and that's not good news for us. The gates have been burned. That means we're vulnerable to attack. The walls are crumbling. That means that there are all kinds of access points for us to be overrun. It means we can't have a thriving economy. It means we can't gather safely as the people of God. They were all united around this problem that Jerusalem was in ruins. Verse 18. 
So what's the solution when it's in ruins? This is the vision part. He says, come on, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall. Let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I think that's really important, this little phrase, so that we will not be a disgrace. You see, they're not about to build the wall for economic reasons. They're not about to rebuild the wall for political reasons. They're about to rebuild the wall so that the people of God can be reestablished as the people of God. It's not about their economics or their politics. It's about their God that they're starting to rebuild. Because when God's people are acting disgracefully, it looks like God does not care. Nehemiah says, let's rebuild not just for our sake, not just because there's great cost to us that the city is in ruins, but let's rebuild for the sake of our great God. Not just so that we're not in disgrace, so that he is not disgraced by us. He brings them together around a common purpose. He inspires them with a common vision. And to emphasize this, he tells the story of what God has done this far. 18, I told them how gracious God's hand had been on me and what the king had said to me. By sharing the activity of God in the story thus far, it gave them hope in the story that was to come. This Friday night, um, you know, some of you know I'm involved in this organization called the Better Man event. And one of our speakers this year is a guy you may have heard of called Denzel Washington. And this Friday night in L.A., we sent a couple of guys from our team to go and record the interview with him. I, I, I petitioned hard for that one, but didn't, didn't, didn't get on that one. But a couple of hours before the interview, our guys who were there called me because they were all nervous because this was like something we've never done before. This is like Denzel Washington, right? They said, well, just can we tell you how we want to introduce ourselves? I'm like, what are we, in middle school again? Kind of, kind, of, kind of thing. And we have this conversation, and we're all a little bit nervous, and I felt the anxiety too because it was a, a big deal for us. But as we were talking together, we realized and we acknowledged that we were only about to embark on this task because God had led us to this task. And if you're involved in a task that God has led you to, and you've seen his activity getting there, then it makes sense that we would trust God when we're there. Does that make sense? So Nehemiah, he does his homework, and then he builds his team. He unites his team around their common interest. He sets the vision. He talks about God's glory. But he says, this is going to work because God is with us then. 
And God wouldn't have let then happen unless God was going to lead us through now and God was going to take us on to next. Does that make sense? He's sharing the testimony of God's work in his story. If we want to move forward, sometimes the only thing we have to do is look over our shoulder and see that God was with us then, that he started something that he wants to continue now, and that gives us courage to trust him in the now. Does that make sense? Where has the activity of God been in your life? Will it be there in the future? We believe so, but we can't see it. Sometimes when we're stuck on our ex, we're so consumed in the moment that it's hard to believe that, that God is with us. So sometimes we have to look over our shoulder and say, hey, the God who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, was with me yesterday, and that can give me great hope for today. It was that testimony they didn't just build this team. It was a testimony that empowered this team. And so he said, let's start rebuilding. Let's go. Let's get off the X. And their hands, we read, were strengthened by God to do this good work. Nehemiah has this challenge to get started. The first thing he does is his homework. The second thing he does is build the team. He does that in a very skillful way. And when he builds that team, something happens. The hands of that team were strengthened. There is a dynamic that comes into play where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? Because of their teamwork, sure, but there's an extra strength that's given to them because God shows up in their team. It's a principle of the kingdom of God when we're building. When we do it together, God shows up. Jesus said, right, when two or three are gathered in my name, then I am there. As they're getting off the X, they do their homework they build the team. Then some of us need to hear this because we're living there right now. They overcome the objections. Verse 19. It's three people now who are opposing what's going on. Previously, we read in verse 10 that there were just two. These two didn't want this journey to go on we read because they didn't want people to prosper. They didn't want people to get better or to grow. They didn't want people to walk in the promises of God because it would hurt them personally. And this little opposition they'd shared initially is now growing and growing and they're becoming more vocal. Verse 19, when Sambalat the Horite and Tobiah the Amorite official and Gershom the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, what is this that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah is moving forward. He does his homework. 
He builds his team. But anybody who's done anything of any significance knows that there is always people who oppose what you are doing around you. And therefore, if we're going to move forward, not just do we need to do our homework, not just do we need to build the team, but we need to figure out how to overcome the opposition. Now, at this stage, the opposition is not physical. You could say that they're opposing them in a much worse way. They're using their words. They are mocking and they are despising us. They are speaking ill of us. They are laughing at us. They are provoking us. They are undermining us. That's the external stuff. But then he's got to realize and deal with the idea that that someone despises him. You know, I'm a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And sometimes I'm not that recovered. <laughs> and it's not unusual for me to get wind of a rumor or a whisper or a little bit of a gossip that someone doesn't like me. Or someone is... Uh, frustrated at something I've done or someone is acting dismissively to me. And as a leader, when I hear that kind of stuff, it makes me want to run. It kind of paralyzes me. So Nehemiah, in this moment, part of what it means to overcome the objections is that he needs to have some, some inner courage to let these mocking accusations just bounce off him. I read a quote this week that spoke about people who mock and use their words to slander and gossip, ridicule. The quote said that these are weapons of those who have no other. These are weapons of those who have no other. Saying that those who mock verbally and will tease and will ridicule are people who don't have the strength to do anything but... They asked him this question, are you rebelling against the king? That was an easy question for him to settle. No, I'm serving my God. I got permission from the king. But I love his response. Finally, in verse 20, I gave them this reply. The God of heavens is the one who will grant us success. We are his servants, and we will stop building. But you have no share, no right, or no historic claim in Jerusalem. He's dealing with this opposition in three ways. First of all, he's saying, I'm about God's work. If you got a problem, you take it up with him. If you don't like what I'm doing, and I'm doing it because he's called me, then there's not much point in you getting mad at me. You should take that up with God. Again, when we face objections and people who are uh, mocking and ridicule, it's not a bad practice to say, you can mock me all you want, but you're mocking the wrong person because I'm following God. 
And if you've got a problem with him, you need to take it up with him, not with me. The second thing he says along a similar vein is, we're just servants. We're doing his will. We're giving ourselves to his work. We have no other agenda than to serve him. Thirdly, he says, and by the way, I'm not going to people please with you guys. And you guys, in fact, aren't going to join my team. You're going to have no part in this, this rebuilding project, no share in it, no right to it, no historical claim in it. He's saying, no, I'm going to marginalize your voice in my life. God's going to do this big project. We're going to serve him. But if you can't get on board with what he's doing, then you can be no part of it. What I love about this and what we're so often so bad at is he's setting some boundaries. You know, so often in in church life and ministry work and godly callings, right? We think that part of that work is to say yes to everybody, even if the person we're saying yes to is spouting evil and mocking and is an idiot. What I love about Nehemiah is he sets some boundaries. He says, I got, I got to work a calling to fulfill. I, I'm doing it with the humility that is necessary as a servant of God. Because of that, I'm cutting your voice out of my life. Nehemiah has great boundaries. And I would encourage you just to say it again if someone needs to hear it, and maybe they do. There are people in your life who you want to help you, but they're actually hurting you. Put a boundary up against that person so that you can fulfill the work of God. It is not always your responsibility to help that person. Does God love that person? Absolutely. Does God care about that person? Absolutely. Does God want that change to happen in that person's life? Absolutely. But it's probably not your responsibility to take care of. Nehemiah could have said, oh my goodness, Geshem and Horonai and Sambalat, they're not on board with me. Guys, we're just going to wait for a couple of months to get them on board before we move forward. And a couple of months could have turned into a couple of years and a couple of years into a couple of decades and the project never gets started. There are some folks we just need to say no to. And it's not an unloving thing to do. So here's Nehemiah. His heart is broken. Scene one. Scene two, he gets permission from the king to move forward. Then he gets to Jerusalem and he's standing on his ex and it's time to move forward. Some of us stand on our ex. It's time to move forward. Get some rest. Do your homework. Build your team. 
and overcome the opposition. Because if God has called you to something, we must give it our best efforts to move forward. Final story, Billy Graham. Many of you remember Billy Graham. I think it was in the 50s. He was approached by one of the major political parties to run for president. And Billy Graham thought to himself for a while, man, this is a, that would be pretty cool. Think of the influence that I could have. Think of the voice and the platform that I would have. Billy Graham went to his wife, Ruth, said, Ruth, let me run an idea by you. And she thought about it, the story goes, for a split second. And she said, Billy, I'm not sure that America is ready for a divorced president yet. She said, if God has called you to preach, do not stoop to become the president. If God has called you on his purposes, do not lower yourself to any other calling. God had a plan for Nehemiah, a plan to reboot. God has a plan for us to reboot and redeem this world. Let us be people who never settle for anything less or other than the perfect plans that God has for us.